Welcome to Positive Adoption, where you can find adoption, foster care, and trauma-informed parenting all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker. But more than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos from hard places. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey, so grab a cup of coffee and join me for Positive Adoption, a coffee break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to Positive Adoption. We are on week three of Homeschooling 101. And like I said last week, I've been so encouraged by everybody in the private Facebook group, just who are helping one another, who are welcoming one another, giving each other some encouragement, some advice on curriculum. And Audrey has created a curriculum finder. You can find that on in our private group. And that's really helpful because that's usually one of the questions that new homeschoolers want to know right away. And I understand, especially if your kids have been in private or public school, you don't have to think about choosing the curriculum The school does that for you. So all of a sudden, you're in this position where you're like, okay, you're going to homeschool your kids this year, and so what are you going to use? And that's the first question, and it's a very, very difficult question to answer because it really depends on the learning style of your child, the personality of your child, If your child has any capital letter syndromes like ADD, ADHD, or SPD, or is on the spectrum, all of those things come into play. So if you have asked that question of a homeschooler who's very experienced and they don't give you an answer right away, or they pepper you with questions, understand that it's not an easy question to answer. And I think I said a couple weeks ago, which is shocking for me having an education degree, sometimes you have to start without a curriculum, with just some books and a computer and paper. You don't even have to have a computer. And just start seeing what your child knows and see what they don't know, see how they learn see how they respond to sitting at a table, how long they can sit there, do they need to move, because there's learning styles, and we have to learn our children's learning styles so that we can best pick the curriculum for them. Are they kinesthetic, meaning do they learn by hands-on? I'm kinesthetic, and I'm kind of unique because I need to Not only see it and do it, but I need to hear it and write it down. I need to go through all those processes. And then there are auditory learners. There are kids that learn just by hearing something. And some of these kids have amazing memories. My 
eldest, Audrey, is an auditory learner, and once she hears something, she does not forget it. Ever. So, and then there are visual learners. Those are the kids that learn by seeing things, and they might do better with some video instruction, because once they see something, they remember it. So those are all things that we have to consider and I'm only including this because a lot of people in the group are saying, you know, this is my first year homeschooling and it is overwhelming. I understand. And they want to know, what do I use? So there's so much depth to that. And really, honestly, you will not be doing your child any harm if you wait a few weeks or even a month to see where they are, maybe find some little online tests. I think um, lots of curriculums have those tests online so you can see where your kid is for math or other things, or you can just evaluate them yourselves um, and before you choose what you're going to use. Okay, so I guess that was my personal update <laughs> and my community update. And I... Uh, well, I am going to say one more thing about my personal update. Okay, so I've said on the podcast, you know, I have chronic fatigue syndrome and um, I've been going through a crash, have talked to my doctor, have started something new. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is one of the things that God has been impressing on my heart during this season is to renew my mind and not to accept every thought that comes into my mind. And I know that, but obviously my mind needed to be renewed in that. And I want to talk to that subject just for a minute when it comes to your kids. So if you're beginning homeschooling or you're a veteran or you've been doing this for years, you know, we have to renew our mind about our children every day. Because if you watched Amory's Day in the Life and Audrey's Day in the Life and Lori's Day in the Life, you know, and you know personally, that things do not go perfectly and things do not always go well. And sometimes in our culture, we use that as a measure of whether we should continue what we're doing or not. That is not a good way to measure success. Because Jesus says that we are going to have trials. But we're going to have troubles, but to be of good cheer. So if those are th because he has overcome the world, I'll finish that. So if those are the measuring sticks that you are using in your mind, well, he had a meltdown today, or he didn't learn this today, or I can't teach math well, or I can't teach, those are not good measuring sticks of whether you should continue doing what you're doing. You know, if you want some more proof of that, just read through the Old Testament and all the battles they had against all the ites and all the times they, they were fearful and thought that they couldn't go on. So that is something that we have to renew our minds in daily. And I remember someone telling me early on, or I read it somewhere in my homeschooling journal, that 
uh, to write down in my homeschooling journal, because I'm a journaler, why I was homeschooling. And to be obedient to that meant I needed to read that often and remind myself, renew my mind in that. So that is my personal update. And I am challenging you to find some scriptures. Find something that backs up or when God told you or why you're doing this. Write it down and review it often so you can renew your mind in that daily. Okay, so here are this week's questions. And these are based on some of the comments and the little polls I put in the group. Uh, Do you do art or crafts or any other extra subjects? And what do you do? I'll start with that one. So that's one of the things I really struggled with when my kids were little because I usually thought that Okay, if we get through the math and the reading and the science, then I'll reward you with getting to do arts and crafts. And I would tell them that, like, if you do this and you do this and we'll do this. And I realized after a season or two or three that that was a mistake because the arts and the crafts and the hands-on things are so important to certain learning styles. And I think that studying the arts, studying artwork, you know, I ended up buying all kinds of books of the masters, just pictures, you know, pictures of paintings and explanations of paintings um, at Barnes & Noble when they were on the, the um, can't think of it, When they were on sale, I'll just put it that way, when they were on sale. And I would just, I have a stack of them. So we started doing that. Like we would look at one of the paintings in the book and read the little excerpt and talk about it. And then I went to, I took my kids to a Barry Stebbing. We actually got to meet him. I don't know if you know who he is, but his website is How Great Thou Art. And learned the importance of art and the elements of art, and listening to classical music when you did art, because art is something that, yes, some people are naturally talented at and good at, but anybody can succeed in some sort of art if they learn the elements. So that's, we did How Great Thou Art, and we did, I taught another one at our co-op about, um, I have to look up the name, but it was copying the masters, and it was the same principle. We would study a painting or a sculpture or something, read about it, and then we would try to recreate it. Okay, second question. How do you encourage a kid who is struggling with A, reading, B, math? Okay, so with reading... Somebody had commented about struggling with reading, teaching reading. And yes, reading is a difficult thing to teach to a child who is not ready to learn or has dyslexia or any other challenge like that. And some kids, they're just, their will is set against that. One of the things that I think is really good for readers who are struggling is that you read to them. A lot. 
You read books that they're interested in. And then when you are having them read to you, you read a sentence and you have them read a sentence because you get them interested and find books that they want to read. When you get them interested, they're going to want to know what the next sentence says. And it's okay to help them sound everything out over and over and over again. That is okay. It's okay to help your kids. And it's the same thing with math. One of the things that I did with math is kids, especially who struggle in the area of logic and cause and effect, will struggle with math. And when you pull out that page that has 50 problems on it, yeah, they're going to balk. They're going to be like, I can't, uh, no, I can't do that. Have them do two rows. Have them do one row and take a break. All of these things are within our control. Like Amory said on her video, you don't have anybody sitting there telling you what you have to do and when you have to do it. You're, you're the boss there. And if the goal is to teach your child to add and he does one row of addition successfully, then you have succeeded. If he does one row of, of addition and misses two and you help him correct those two, then you have succeeded. Just, I guess the main point is lessen the pressure and make it as joyful as you can. Believe me, I know. I've had so many math papers torn up right in front of my eyes, poked with pencils, thrown on the ground. That's stupid. I understand. But what I'm saying is do what was is in with within your power to make it as joyful as possible. Okay. Number 3. Now, this was part of the preschooler survey, but I'm going to answer it for both preschoolers and any schooler. Should you push a preschooler to learn, or any age for that matter? Okay, I'm going to answer it in two sections. Number one, with preschoolers, you have to be very careful. One of the things I learned from Charlotte Mason, which I really loved, and she's talking about young children conquering their own will and being able to participate in something for a minute first. And then you increase it by two minutes. And then you increase it by three minutes. So using that pattern, we can, instead of push preschoolers, help them to participate and to train their own will. Instead of, it's so tempting the very first day of school, in air quotes there, to say, you know what, it says on here that we should be working for at least, oh, I don't know, an hour and a half or two hours for pre whatever for preschool, whatever your curriculum says. And you want to go straight through and you want to do it all at once and you just want the very first day, they're all excited. Stop while they're still having fun. This is preschool. This is not college. It's not high school. So if you're playing a game of go fish and that's part of what you're doing for the day, stop while they're still having fun. Don't push them to keep going and going and going until you like have a timer set for 
15 minutes. If they play for five minutes and they were having fun, stop. And then whatever little seat work they're doing, like tracing something, like I said, a minute. Try a minute first. That's a long time for a preschooler. Now, other kids, when they're getting older, of course, they need to start conquering their will a little bit more. Now, if your kids have a capital letter syndrome, use that same thing. A minute, then two minutes, then five minutes, then ten minutes. Okay, you did you did math for ten minutes. You did ten problems. And yeah, ten minutes and ten problems. That's very common for someone who has a capital letter syndrome who or who struggles with math. Okay, let's take a break. But you know, let's go outside and walk around the house one time or two times. We used to do that a lot. And so it's not so much pushing, and I'm going to end with this example because I know the other ladies have plenty to say. Okay, so I heard this story early in my homeschooling journey. So there was this farmer who needed to put in fence posts. And he was determined to get an early start on it. So he goes out in February and the ground is still frozen. And he's using, I don't know if we have one of those post hole diggers. I don't know if you guys have one. You manually press it into the ground and you scoop up the dirt and you pull it up. Okay, so he's doing that. How well can you do that when the ground is frozen? If you don't know, you can't. It's very, very difficult. So that's what it's like to push a child who is not ready to learn or who is frustrated or not connected or hungry or tired, all of those things. But another farmer was putting in fence posts and he decided to wait until after the spring thaw and he got it all done in one day. Why? Because the ground was soft. It was ready. It was pliable. And different kids are pliable at different times. Now, I'm not saying that you do nothing with them and are waiting for this magical day, but you keep working with them and being gentle and kind. And then you will eventually see the spring thaw and they will begin to do things overnight and just watch for those pinpricks of light instead of waiting like I'm just waiting for the sun to come up and they know everything ah! no watch for little tiny pinpricks of light so I'm going to finish up and let those other um, Amory, Lori, Audrey I don't know what order they're going to be in talk and I will see you next week bye hello Lori here um, we are have three new questions presented to us this week for our homeschooling podcast discussion. Um, the first one is, do you do arts and crafts or any other extra subject and um, how and what? Um, we don't, um, I haven't, I don't actively plan arts and crafts. I am an arty type person, so it's, I've just always presented them with um, things to do, um, fun activities to go along with their subjects to kind of incorporate more arts and crafts. 
um, as they've grown, it started happening more naturally and organically. My daughter, she paints every surface that she can get her hands on. Uh, clothing, she paints walls, she paints canvases, she paints desks, she paints everything. If, if I let her, she's going to do it. She also sews. Um, she's made jewelry before. Um, she, and then, you know, she teaches herself piano and ukulele. Uh, by watching YouTube, believe it or not. Well, YouTube, and then there's a couple of apps. Um, I think Tabs is one of them that helps her with ukulele, but I think that now they might have a piano option. I can't remember. I think that's what she told me. Um, so yeah, those, she's very arty. So those things just happen naturally. And she explores that, like I gave her the tools at the beginning. And as she got older, she started exploring it on her own and honing her skill skill. <laughs> what was that skill? Um, anyway, so my, um, my middle son, he, um, he never took to regular arts and crafts per se. Um, not like, you know, you're cut and paste. And he always thought that that was stupid. Like everything out of his mouth. That's stupid. It's like his favorite word or something. Um, but he, I count, um, when he, he does wood burnings, um, woodworking, um, he makes knives, um, out of pieces of metal now. He's taught himself how to build his own forge and has forged, um, he's taken railroad spikes and forged them into, um, knives, basically. He's taught himself how to do those things by watching, again, <laughs> YouTube and Google, you know. Um, so those are some extra activities that we do. Um, and then you have your, um, like, uh, whenever it comes to like gym and stuff like that, you can get into different sports, but like my daughter does MMA. That definitely counts. Um, some places have basketball leagues, like church basketball leagues. My son was in that for a while. So like you can, you can use everyday life things and count them towards your extracurriculars. Um, okay. Question two, how do you encourage a kid struggling with reading and or math? Um, so my daughter is not strong in math. She, her brain just can't wrap around it. She hates math so much. Um, and it's difficult to encourage, especially since I am not as strong in math either. <laughs> um, but what I do do with her is, um, and also my son, because it, it helps, it's helpful for him to, um, even though he can get it a lot faster and a lot easier than she can. Um, I work through things with them. So that way I can tell exactly which steps they're, they're tripping up on and then we can fix it. Like maybe I'll explain it a different way or something like that. Um, and the reading, my daughter has been amazing at reading and I joke a lot. I say, I don't remember actively teaching her to read. I think she learned through osmosis. <laughs> while I was teaching her brother. <laughs> but she is an amazing reader and she loves to read. Um so I don't I don't ever have to encourage her. She just does it. Um she will read a whole series in a week. Um 
now my son, how I encourage him by researching and finding things I think might hold his interest. Um, he's very much into the outdoors. So if I can find something that's Duck Dynasty related or written by the guys from Duck Dynasty, he loves those guys. He will read something um, from them. And also, I like I said in my um, homeschooling through high school and middle school tips, don't be afraid to read aloud and don't be afraid of um, audiobooks um, for not so strong readers. Um, those, those things I have done with my son and I know I, that he's never going to be the strongest reader, but he is strong in other areas. So I can't, I can't look at the one thing that he is weak on and have that be what sets the standard for everything because he is amazing at so many other things. And same way with all my kids. I can't focus, micro focus on the thing that they're weak on and say, well, that means that everything is down the tube. You know, they're amazing at so many other things. There is no point in micro focusing on the one thing that they struggle with. You just try to help them through it. Um, and number three, should you push a preschooler to learn or any age? I didn't do preschool. My youngest was in first grade whenever I first started homeschooling. Um, and honestly, though, if I would have started in preschool, I really feel like learning through play is such a gigantic tool. Like they can learn so many things just through play. You can explain the world around them just by taking a walk in the woods you can you know help trace letters in a sandbox like like there are there's so much that you can do that doesn't have anything to do with (laughs) sitting down and doing a workbook or tracing letters on a page like there's so much out there and I really think that learning through play is such a valuable tool um And then when they get older, I think it's important to know your children, um, like really know them. Know, because some kids needed a little extra push from their parents, and that's fine. Um, And some kids, you have to be able to read them and be like, okay, it is time for us to take a break and come back to it later. There have been days where the entire day has just, everything has gone wrong. And I've gotten to the place where I'm like, you know what? We're done. Let's go take a hike in the woods and enjoy nature. And we'll come back to this tomorrow. Um, because if I would have pushed them, it had just made everyone more angry and our relationship would have been strained. And in the long run, that was not what the, the memorization of the facts and whether or not they finished something exactly on time was not as important as my relationship with my children. Um, so you got to weigh those whenever you're asking yourself that question about whether to push them to learn or not. Um, you got to really know your kid um, whenever they get older um, to know whether or not you need to do that. All right. So. Hopefully, I and the other ladies have helped you in some way today. Bye. Hey, this is Audrey. I'm here to answer this week's questions. 
The first question is, do you do arts and crafts or any other subjects? What do you do? We do arts and crafts like handiwork and painting. We also do music. We do piano lessons through Hoffman Academy, and we do singing through a site called Sing Solfa. The singing is really simple. It's a lot of folk songs or nursery songs. I want them basically familiar with notes and congregational or group singing. And because of autism, some of mine need actual instruction, even for basic singing along, or they just won't join in. They enjoy it when we do it together, but they don't pick it up on their own. My oldest two also do typing. Um, we just use typing.com. They each have a student account, and it's um, free. We've never needed to pay for the premium service to do the things that we need to do with it. Um, next term, my older kids will be doing knots or rope work. Uh, I try to focus handicrafts on useful skills and not just art projects, um, but it's an area I also have to work at including. It doesn't come as naturally to me. Uh, we also keep a Kumon Easy Crafts or First Cutting book on hand for kids who want to do a craft during school um, with minimal setup. They can cut out the pieces and tape or glue. It's optional for them, but we have the book set aside just for school hours. The middle kids pull that out a lot. The second question is, how do you encourage a kid who is struggling with reading or math? And... Um, Kids who are struggling struggle in different ways. For some, it's discipline. For some, it's attention issues or expectations. For kids actually struggling with the material itself, it's always good to take a step back. One day off isn't a red flag. Everyone has tough days. A string of bad days and frustrated lessons means something else is going on. With practice, you can tell when a kid is just being lazy versus when they're actually frustrated or struggling, but you do have to make sure you're actually paying attention and don't just assume. Kids trying to get out of harder work don't usually behave in the same way as kids who are genuinely overwhelmed. Then the first step is to always pull back to easy stuff. If you've had a string of frustrating days, you can take a day or two off with younger kids, but... I tend to try to avoid that because it's sometimes better if I can give them like a couple lessons where they can rebuild confidence. Use that time to figure out where they're having the most trouble. For math, I found it almost always comes down to some basic function order or facts that they're shaky on. It might be a matter of a refresher, just going over long division again, like the order everything is done in. Um, it might be time to pause for memorization my seven-year-old recently stalled in her math book. Um, she went from liking the book to dreading it, dragging her feet and whining and crying when I insisted. She was working on two-digit subtraction, and I realized she didn't have her single-digit addition and subtraction facts really memorized. Uh, the book went by those too fast for her, so she was trying to do this uh, two-digit subtraction while counting out every problem on her hand or her fingers and it was just an overwhelming amount of work for every problem. So uh, we stepped back and she's been doing two rows of a drill sheet so it's about 20 short problems just single digit problems every day. 
At first, she had to count out each one with a hundred board. We had a hundred board and a little transparent counter. She could move along the numbers to add. And now she can sit down and get through most of them with just brief thought. She doesn't even get the hundred board out anymore. Um, it would have wrecked her confidence, her attitude toward math, and negated any good from progressing if I just pushed her to go forward with the book. Um, giving her time to focus on that specific area is what she needed. It's kind of the same approach for reading. Um, kids who are struggling, we go over phonics, letters, and letter blends. Um, we go through uh, drill sheets of blend combinations or like rule breaker words. Um, help them find activities that motivate them to read. Uh, for one of mine, it was writing stories. She just wanted to write stories like her big brothers, and it was trying to write stories that made her realize she actually wanted to push herself to read better um, so she could write more easily. Um, I could go on about reading for hours. Maybe I should save it for another podcast because there are so many different like areas of that, whether it's phonics or comprehension and... Um, just so many different approaches but it's generally my policy is if a kid is consistently frustrated I step back we do a couple easy days I figure out if it's the subject matter if it's the curriculum if it's something else going on um and kind of work at that first it's I guess it's it's kind of like pulling up um weeds like the problems are the weeds not them themselves but sometimes it's better to go like dig at the roots instead of just tearing leaves off because they're just going to keep coming back if you don't figure out what's actually going on um and the best way to do that is to have their cooperation you don't want a kid that's learning to dread school because they're frustrated because they're overwhelmed and they don't understand, and they just keep getting pushed. Um, so having those days where they can have a bit of like that sense of mastery or feeling like they know what they're doing, that's still doing an important work in their brain, even if you feel like they're not progressing anymore. It's still a different kind of learning work to prepare them to learn or master new concepts. The final question was, should you push a preschooler to learn, or any age for that matter, um, for preschoolers? No. Preschoolers are like jello. The harder you push and shake and poke, the more of a mess you'll make. Sometimes you just gotta leave a preschooler alone for a bit to set some more. If they want to join in for school, do every activity they're willing to do. If they aren't, then they aren't behind. They're exactly where they should be. Preschoolers are naturally curious little creatures, but they learn best by watching, doing alongside you, and working with their hands. Preschoolers who show little interest in colors, numbers, letters, reading, etc., they're not behind. They're just being the strange little gremlins that they are with their own bizarre thought life. I love preschoolers and their brains are best when unspoiled. Some love academic work and that's fine. Let them fly. 
but the ones that resist are trying to tell you that their little brains and bodies aren't ready. They need more time without being poked or prodded, or all you're going to do is ruin their future enthusiasm for school and formal learning. If you've got a preschooler who is genuinely interested in nothing at all, or only interested in screens, then you got to cut back on screen time a lot, or maybe go see a doctor to see if there's some other reason that they're not engaging with anything. But if they just want to poke bugs and stack blocks and talk to dolls and squish Play-Doh and pour water into teacups and climb on you and cry about snacks and help squirt cleaning fluid, that's exactly the kind of learning that they need. That's exactly what they should be doing. Um, Our culture has convinced a lot of people that four or five-year-olds should already be doing academic work. They're still preschoolers. Their brains are still practically babies. They still need so much more time to just figure out where their body fits into the world around them and to learn that in active ways, in movement and in doing things like pretending to wash little toy dishes in a kitchen like that's that's the kind of stuff they do that's preparing their brain to learn later and it is a kind of learning that they're doing now i preschoolers do not need to be pushed into academic work um like i said some really like it some see big siblings do it uh we go through this thing with my preschoolers where they get really excited about older siblings doing seat work and they want to join in and I will print them an alphabet page or get out some stuff for them to count with us. Um, Generally their excitement lasts for like two or three days and the first time that I get out a paper for a preschooler and say let's sit down and do school and they ask if they have to I say no. We don't make them stick to a schedule that early, um, other than the general schedule of the household. That's when they just get to go play. Um, For other ages, whether or not you should push a kid to learn um, is kind of a complicated question. Because some kids are lazy, some kids are... um, resistant to doing work some kids are comfortable not progressing because they're kids because they're humans because they have weird moods and bad days and bad weeks um but the question whether or not you should push them to learn is a tricky one because a lot of times what we're asking when we say should we push this kid to to keep working on this and push through it is We're asking them to perform academic tasks, which isn't necessarily learning. Um, Sometimes some kids need a break to go learn in other ways, to learn in hands-on ways, or to spend time with something that they love, which doesn't mean that they're off the hook for learning things. It might mean that they need a couple weeks where their math is required but not that challenging where they're keeping up with handwriting but they're not doing a lot of other writing and when their downtime still has a little bit of structure where you're saying things like no you can't go turn on the tv because you finished your seat work so quickly 
you can go read, you can go build with Legos, you can go try sewing a dress. Here are some things you can do. Let's go work on those. Um, because whether or not they're performing academic tasks, which can be really important, and whether or not they're learning are two different things. And if kids are resisting learning, then it's usually because they're feeling burned out or they're just not engaging with the material for some reason. And it might just be that they need a different perspective or some time to shift their focus to something else. Um, the exception, as always, is the last day of your school week and the last week of the school term or semester. Because that's when kids don't want to finish things and sometimes you just have to finish stuff. Um, which really should be left up to the family. Not everybody needs to finish every single thing, but there are some things where it's worth just saying, like, I know this is boring to you right now. I know it doesn't feel very exciting, but you do actually have to finish this chapter. That's, I think, all I have for the week. Um, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Positive Adoption. Make sure you subscribe to KathleenGuire.com to receive your gift of five things, a tiny handbook for foster and adoptive families, and receive a monthly newsletter, plus updates when new books or courses are released. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, Spotify, or YouTube, and leave a review so other listeners can find positive adoption and know the value of the show. You're also welcome to send me an email to positiveadoption at gmail.com. Follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Kathleen Guire. Thanks for being part of the Positive Adoption Community.